Welcome to the Unborn Movement by Words to Inspire. We invite you to be informed, to be involved, and to be in prayer. On these podcasts, you'll hear stories from women and men who tell of the damaging after effects of legal abortion, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Such a dark stain on our nations around the world. The ripple effect on moms, dads, grandparents, and siblings impacts not only this generation, but generations to come. We are committed to also telling you through these dynamic stories about the amazing grace of our Heavenly Father. He offers love, forgiveness, and restoration to all who call on Him. We pray that every podcast highlights God's healing grace. And now today's podcast. So today on our podcast, I am privileged to have Corey Shoemaker, and she is going to read her story from Unborn, Untold, True Stories of Abortion and God's Healing Grace. She's a a great gal and uh, has a wonderful way of reading and doing poetry. So we want to allow her to read her story today. Her story is called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Corey Shoemaker, go ahead. Thanks, Ruth. Fearfully and wonderfully made. I adore a good love story, especially one where an individual overcomes impossible odds and renews our faith in humanity. Perhaps I feel that way because I was part of an impossible love story from the moment I was conceived. From the day my parents met and started dating, they dreamed of having a family. My mother was training to be a registered nurse and had all the compassion and gentleness an ideal mother should possess. She taught Sunday school at her local church, and the kids adored her. She was known for her fun, interactive lessons, for bringing in cupcakes when there was a birthday, and for hosting pizza parties. No wonder she was the most beloved teacher. In those days, my parents often talked of having a large family. They joked about raising a small sports team and dreamed of being there for each child as he or she grew up. However, after marriage, this dream was dashed. They were informed they couldn't have children. My mother was heartbroken, and my father grieved that the one thing she so desperately wanted in life was being denied her. Undaunted, My mother suggested that they adopt and give a loving home to a child who really needed one. They were approved and eager to adopt a little boy. But at the last moment, the teen mother changed her mind and pulled him from adoption. My parents were distraught. The nursery was all set up, ready and waiting for their little boy. Still, my mother, encouraged by the hope that there was a child out there that needed a family, applied for adoption again. During their second application, they were denied adoption. The reason? My mother was deemed an unfit mother because of her lupus. Lupus is an autoimmune disease that comes in varying degrees of severity and can affect any organ in the body. However, many women have healthy, thriving lives with families despite having the disease. Despite the fact that she lived a normal life and was otherwise healthy and young, 
Adoption Canada determined that her disease disqualified her. My father was livid. My mother was devastated again. All she wanted was to be a mother to a child. After the pain of trying to adopt, my mother still held on to her hope and suggested sponsoring impoverished children overseas. After 11 years of marriage and helping multiple children across the globe, my mom discovered the impossible. She was pregnant. With her history of lupus and kidney disease, pregnancy was risky, but she wanted a child more than anything, so she was willing to take a chance. Then her specialist dropped a bomb. He insisted she have an abortion, as her pregnancy was deemed life-threatening. Her kidneys were only functioning at 60%, and in his opinion, a, quote, therapeutic abortion was necessary. My mom was crushed. She had wanted a child all her life. She had dreamed and prayed to be a mother, and the idea of having an abortion, choosing to kill this miracle baby, was unfathomable to her. She worried about what to do and felt pressured by her doctors. My mother's journal entry at the time showed a concerned and upset woman trying to make the right decision without a lot of support. She felt isolated and alone in her choice and pressured to follow through with the doctor's demands for a therapeutic abortion. I can only imagine the stress and fear she must have felt. When my mom came home after being told she needed an abortion, she turned to her main source of comfort and guidance, her Bible. She prayed and came across Psalms 139, verse 13 to 16, which reads, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Encouraged by these words from David in the Psalms, my mother decided against an abortion, despite the risk to herself. She had carefully considered all possible outcomes of her decision, her and the baby dying, her dying and the baby surviving, or the hopeful outcome of a mother and child both surviving. She couldn't take the life of her child out of fear for her own life. She wouldn't take her child's life. If there was a risk, we would face it together. But she would not sacrifice her child to guarantee her own survival. Despite her convictions, it was not an easy decision to make, and she was scared. When she told her doctor, he claimed she was crazy and suicidal. He refused to treat her and dumped her as a patient, abandoning her without prenatal care. Instead of supporting her, the doctor who was supposed to walk with my mom through her pregnancy turned against her and abandoned her in her hour of need. Thankfully, her rheumatologist offered to step in until another specialist could be found. He noted that he didn't specialize in babies, 
but he would help until the medical team, another medical team was in place. The next few months consisted of medical appointments with lupus specialists, rheumatologists, nephrologists, and neonatal specialists as my parents prepared for a challenging pregnancy. I was so small that my mother didn't even look pregnant. When she told people she was expecting, they didn't believe her. While I didn't add much in terms of weight, I did put great strain on her kidneys that were already functioning at only 60%. Due to this risk, my mother was admitted to hospital for close care and observation at only six months. My mother went into kidney failure at 30 weeks gestation. Healthy babies go to 40 weeks. My father had just left the hospital where he had played Trivial Pursuit, a board game with my mother, who was not feeling well. As he walked in the door to their home, the phone was ringing. When he picked it up, the hospital told him that my mother was going into kidney failure. They needed to take the baby by emergency cesarean, but no incubators were available. Thus, my mom was being moved to St. Boniface Hospital in Winnipeg, where there were available incubators. My dad jumped into the car and rushed to St. Boniface. When he arrived, the ambulance was unloading my mother on the stretcher. As he ran alongside her down the hospital corridors, the surgeon called out, do you want me to save your wife or your child? The question was unthinkable for my poor father. Both, he wanted both to survive. I was born by emergency cesarean two months, two weeks early, and weighed in at 2.2 pounds. My expected due date was May 5th, but I arrived February 27th. I was rushed to the neonatal care unit and put on a respirator in an incubator. At the time of my birth, the foreman ovule, a small opening in the heart that is supposed to close before the baby is born, was still open. I stayed in the intensive care nursery for 100 days. My mother was in ICU for three days and remained in the hospital for one month. I was so tiny that my dad's wedding ring went all the way up to my shoulder. And I fit in the palm of his hand. He later joked that I could have fit in his pocket. <laughs> Preemie clothing and diapers were too large for me. So the ladies from our local church sewed doll clothes for me to wear when I was released from the hospital. I couldn't even cry as my lungs weren't developed, so I spent many weeks red-faced and silently screaming while blood work was done. When I finally did cry, the nurses excitedly called my dad over to the incubator to hear me. He says that I sounded like a kitten meowing. <laughs> Since I was delivered so early, my parents were, prepared, were not prepared for my arrival. The nursery wasn't finished, items still needed to be purchased, and they didn't have a name. I spent a number of weeks listed as last name baby girl on the hospital files, the incubator tag, and on my ankle ID. The nurses kept pestering my father to pick a name, as they didn't want to keep calling me by my last name. Eventually, my parents settled on Corey. My father's daily schedule consisted of getting up for work, swinging by a pizza place, driving to the hospital to see my mother, 
giving a pizza to the nurses on shift. They loved it when he brought pizza. Then he would go down a few floors to visit me in the neonatal ICU. At neonatal, he had to gown up head to toe like a surgeon. He would pull on a blue gown, booty shoe covers, a hairnet, and a face mask before scrubbing his hands fingertip to elbow with the pink antibacterial soap. After rinsing his hands, he was instructed to hold them upright so the unclean water didn't drip back down, reinfecting his clean hands. Sometimes he had to wear gloves. Only after suiting up and washing thoroughly was he allowed to enter the nursery and visit me, where I usually lay froggy style, spread out on my stomach. I was hooked up to a number of devices, including a heart rate monitor, a bladder catheter, and an IV. The IV was attached at my scalp and covered with half a plastic medicine cup, taped to my head to prevent the needle from being knocked or pulled out. If it was a good day, he could hold me. The bottles provided for feeding were preemie size, with smaller nipples to help with drinking. Despite the reduced size, I was still too tiny a preemie to drink on my own. The nurses would intubate me to feed me as I couldn't drink. Only after 100 days in the NICU, when I was moved to a regular nursery, would I finally take my first few sips, only to fall asleep in sheer exhaustion from the effort. Then the nurses would intubate me and give me the rest of my meal. Oftentimes, they left cute notes for my parents with updates, such as, Corey set world record, drank three cc's today. Formula was measured in cc's or cubic centimeters. The measurement commonly found on syringes. I drank, at most, the equivalent of half a teaspoon before passing out. After visiting me and saying goodnight to mom, dad would head home, go to bed, and get up the next morning to do it all over again. I don't know how he managed it. He jokes that I gave him his white hair. While I was in the neonatal unit, my mother was recovering in ICU. It was a slow recovery, and when she was finally well enough to come see me, she didn't want to. She was terrified that if she saw me, she would fall in love with me, and having loved me, she might lose me. My father wouldn't accept this excuse. One day, he put her in a wheelchair and pushed her down to the neonatal unit. Even as a nurse and medical professional, she was still too scared to touch me. When my dad asked why, she said that she didn't want to break me, as I was so fragile and small. Dad reassured her I would be fine and placed me on her chest. From that day forward, we spent many special moments in the NICU bonding as mother and daughter. However, it wasn't until I received my first parcel in the mail, a baby gift from my Aunt Gail addressed to Corey, that my mother realized I was actually here. I was real, and I was a unique person in my own right who wasn't going away. Perhaps she had been in shock or in fear of losing me, but the parcel addressed with my name changed her focus from worry to the realization that I was alive and I was not going to leave her. My birth hospital, St. Boniface Hospital, is a Catholic hospital that exists in Winnipeg, Manitoba. 
They gave my family excellent care and saved both our lives. One of the best aspects of the hospital was a chapel on the second floor. My father used to visit it and pray for my mother and me. While there, he met a nun who offered to pray for our family and visited me daily at my incubator. At that time, I was not yet named, so she would address me as her little Baba. When I grew up to be a toddler, I became quite attached to a pink bunny that I dutifully named Baba. It surprised my mother, as we had never used that word before, and we only spoke English in the home. In some languages, the word Baba translates to baby, so perhaps the nun who visited me called me her little baby. In any case, I am thankful that she prayed over my incubator daily and visited my family, offering support and encouragement. She was a bright light of hope during a time of fear and worry. Our home church also offered faithful support, praying for my mother throughout her pregnancy and for us both after I was born. They sewed clothing for me, they brought meals, and generally offered to help in any way possible. Thanks to the care at St. Boniface Hospital, fortified by prayers from the sisters there and from my home church, my mother and I pulled through. I am now in my 30s, healthy and happy. I have a PhD and teach at a university. I also publish novels, children's books, and academic articles. Every day, I'm thankful my mother courageously stood up for me, said no to an abortion, and risked everything to bring me into the world. I am here because of her love and sacrifice. I'm also so thankful for the loving support and strength that my father offered during this time. He consistently cared for my mother and me, checking in on us daily at the hospital, encouraged my mom when she was fearful of losing me. Nothing was guaranteed, and my progress was touch and go at times, but my father never lost faith that things would work out. He was the first person to bring my mother and me together after my birth. He encouraged her to move past her fear and to reach out to me, no matter how tiny and frail I was. Once my mother took that step, she was forever bonded with me. We were like sisters, best friends, yet mother and daughter all rolled into one. We used to finish, finish each other's sentences and often had the same song stuck in our heads at the same time. Our bonding and love were immeasurable. Every day I wake up, open my eyes, and have a new day before me because of my mother's choice. Her decision to fight for me, to bring me into the world, and my father's strength of character to support her and our family on that journey. The strength that she needed to make the decision for life came not from herself, but from her trust and faith in God. She turned to scripture in her time of need. She listened to the promptings of the Spirit of God, and she trusted that God would provide her with the strength to follow through. She trusted that he would be there with her every step of the way, no matter what happened, because she was obedient to his voice. Despite fears, despite worry, despite people telling her she was wrong, despite medical experts pressuring her to have an abortion, she listened to the word of God, and I'm alive today because of her obedience. 
Had my mother listened to her doctor, who told her she needed to have a therapeutic abortion or she would die, I would have been aborted and gone from this world. Her doctor was wrong. My mother didn't die. She survived. We both survived. It was not an easy journey, and it was not without its moments of fear. But as Franklin D. Roosevelt famously said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. For my mother, the life of another individual human being, her child, was more important than fear, more important than her own security. And I will forever be thankful for the choice that she made that day after reading David's words, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am alive because one woman, my mother, chose life. And I am forever thankful for those who came alongside us on the journey. Above all, above all, I am thankful for the faithfulness of God and his blessings and the gift of life. I'm thrilled to enjoy life every day, thanks to one woman's act of obedience in listening to a still, small voice. Well, thank you, Tori. What a beautiful story. And uh, more of your story and your dad's perspective is the next story in the book, Unborn Untold True Stories of Abortion and God's Healing Grace. You're going to want to get her father's perspective. And uh, we will feature that story at another time. But thank you so much for bringing life to this, to the audience today and for highlighting the choice that your mom made to love life more than her own. That's a great biblical mm-hmm. truth, isn't it? And so thank you, Corey. It's great to see you. Great to have you on the podcast today. And may your voice continue to be heard around the world. God bless you. You too. Thanks, Ruth. As we close off today, I invite you to be part of the Unborn Movement. There are several ways to be involved. Why not join the Unborn Movement Facebook page, get involved in a local pregnancy center, or start the conversation in your church, providing a safe place for stories to be told. For there is a lot of pain in the pews. Find out more about our ministry at wordstoinspire.ca or contact me, Ruth, at wordstoinspire.ca. Until next time, I'm Ruth Coghill for the Unborn Movement. Bye for now.